and spread the flame of Christ's love. People thought that she would return to Australia since that's where they were from and since her husband and her two sons were dead, thought maybe she would flee that place and take her daughter and go back to their native land. But she said no. She said God had called them to India and she would not leave. She said, my husband and our children have sacrificed their lives for this nation. India is my home. I hope to be here and continue to serve the needy. They then asked Esther, who was 13 years old, teenagers, 13 years old, they asked her, what are your thoughts about losing your dad and his murder? And here's what she said as a 13-year-old. I praise the Lord that he found my father worthy to die for him. Parents, if there's any challenge for us, it's to raise children that have such a view of God's global plans. But how do you come to the point that when your husband and your 10-year-old son and your 6-year-old son have been martyred and you say this, I'm not bitter, neither am I angry. You don't get here, friends, by being a good person. You get here by being a gospel person. You see, the gospel of Christ transforms the way we view and treat the people who harm us most. Let me say it again. The gospel, of tri- the gospel of Christ transforms the way we view and treat the people who harm us most. The gospel demands that I not treat my enemies as they deserve to be treated. No, rather, I treat them as Christ has treated me. That's what the gospel of Christ demands, and that's what we're going to see in these four verses that we will study today in Romans chapter 12. There's no better illustration to start that than a woman who's lost her husband and still able to say i'm not bitter and i'm not angry how do you do that jesus jesus would you stand with me and let's read verses 17 through 21 in romans chapter 12 being reminded friends that we are disciples of him who died for his enemies we are disciples of him who died for his enemies beginning then in verse 17 romans 12 Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it's written, Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Father, we thank you for this text. We thank you that you and your good providence have given us an opportunity to study Romans 12. But Father, we don't want to just study Romans 12, and we don't want to just know Romans 12. We want your spirit to produce Romans 12 in our lives. We want to be those who offer our bodies as a living sacrifice to you. We want to be those who are no longer conformed to the world, but our mind is being transformed as you renew it through your spirit and your word so that we will know what's good and acceptable and pleasing to you. We want to be those who don't think more highly of ourselves than we should, but understand that we're members of a body and we each play different roles and we each need each other. Father, we want this to be a place in which love is genuine, in which we hate evil and we cling to what's good. Father, we pray that you would produce these verses that we're about to encounter. Father, would you produce these in us? The only hope for us to live these is not by being good people, but by being gospel people. Jesus is our only hope not to repay evil with evil. Jesus is our only hope for us not to take up the cause of vengeance ourselves. Jesus is our only hope to be able to feed an enemy or to give an enemy who's thirsty something to drink. Jesus is our only hope 
for overcoming evil with good and by not being overcome by evil. So, Father, we pray for your spirit to light this text up to us and then empower us to live it, that we might be the gospel community in the community. It's in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. There are four teaching points from this passage, and as the gospel community moves out in the community, this series that we've been doing since verse 14, just a little three-part series here in Romans 12 of when the gospel community moves out from the bubble and goes out into Baton Rouge, how are we going to be received? And we saw in the previous weeks we will be persecuted. So when we are not the church gathered, but we are the church scattered and we're out going about our daily lives, there will be persecution. But today we're going to see four different teaching points from these verses, 17 through 21. The first one is this. The gospel enables us to do what is honorable in the sight of all, never repaying evil with evil. Here's the reality, friends. People will treat us in evil ways. This is a depraved world. Yesterday I listened to a granddaughter who said that she had just brought her 90-year-old grandmother a six-pack of beer and that her grandmother was going to get wasted. I was going, at 90? Really? What's that take? One? I know. Why, why all six? I, we, live in an, we live in an evil world. We also live in a depraved and evil world in which people act in evil towards others. Just take examples from the Bible. You remember when the Israelites were in Egypt and Pharaoh ordered that all of the Hebrew babies, two years and younger, be murdered? Remember when Jesus was born and Herod ordered that all of these babies would be slaughtered? You remember Joseph's brothers who sold him into slavery? How many of you think your family's dysfunctional, all right? Joseph's own brothers sold him into slavery and lied about it, right? We have Delilah who lies and manipulates Samson. But we should be reminded, friends, of what Jesus has told us. In the world, you will have trouble. We will have trouble. It's what Jesus has told us. Paul tells us, indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. So the question is, when evil happens to us, what do we repay them with? What do we repay them with? And I want you to hold your place in Romans and turn to Matthew 5. It's the Sermon on the Mount. And let's see what Jesus gives us instructions to do. Matthew 5, we're going to begin reading in verse 38, and we're thinking from Romans 12, people are going to do evil to us. When that happens, what's our response to be? And in Matthew 5, beginning verse 38, here's what Jesus says. You've heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who's evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you, and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. You see what God is calling his people to be is different in the world. He's calling us to be distinguishable. And so he says, look, if someone slaps you in the sh- on the cheek, don't, don't resist. Give them the other cheek. If someone wants your, 
your tunic, give them all. Give them your cloak as well. If someone wants you to carry their backpack of a Roman soldier and you're bound to carry it one mile, here's what you do. You carry it two miles. He says, you know, when you have these enemies, here's what I'm calling you to do. Love them, pray for them. He says, if you're good to people who are good to you, that's what pagans do. But the gospel calls us to be good to even those who harm us the most, that we would be different. We would not repay evil with evil. Do you remember in Romans 12? It says this, right? Remember back in Romans 12, verse 9. Let's go back there. Verse 9, we studied it several weeks ago, but it says, Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil or hate what is evil. You cannot simultaneously hate evil and then use it as something that you exchange with other people. Friends, we, we can't simultaneously hate it and use it. And so we're called not to use it, but we're called to hate it. If we do the same things they do, the gospel community will make no difference in the community. If you treat people in Baton Rouge in an evil way, you might as well not show up here on Sunday, friend. There's no difference in us. There's nothing distinguishable about the gospel community. The gospel calls us to die to self and to not repay evil with evil. Here's what it says in Romans 12. He says in 17, Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what's honorable in the sight of all. How many of you find giving thought some days is clearer than others? Some days it's foggy. I'm around Christmas time and parties and you're all uh, eggnogged up. And uh, how many Christmas wreaths? My great aunt Irene used to make these little Christmas wreaths with Rice Krispies and little Red Hots. I miss those more than anything else. Those are so good, right? If you have one of those, it's tough to think clear. But here's what we're called to do. We're called to take thought, give thought. Friends, this isn't going to be accidental. If you're going to live in this way, it's going to be because you're intentional, not accidental. Give thought to do what's right in the eyes of all. Here's where I would challenge us. Know what's right and do it. Know what the right is and do it. In our world in which they say there's no moral absolutes, friend, there are. God determines what's right and wrong. And what he says we should do, we should do it. And I've just showed you from Matthew 5. If someone is evil to us, we don't repay them with evil. We know the right thing to do, and that's what we do. One of the ways that we can demonstrate uh, living in such a way that it's honorable in sight of all, it's honorable in sight of all, one of the ways that we can do that is in verse 20. It says this, down in verse 20, To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. How many of you, this sounds like it's radical. How many of you, this is not how the world operates? The world does not operate in this way. If the enemy is hungry, you starve him. If the enemy is thirsty, you let him continue in thirst. But Jesus says, you know, one way that we can be honorable in the sight of all, if your enemy is hungry, you feed him. Don't do what he would do to you. You do as I've treated you. I've fed you. I've given you drink. You do this. You display the gospel even to this enemy. So it would be honorable in the sight of all. And we would say, you know, if you're giving an enemy food and drink, you realize what's happening, right? You're sustaining his life. You're sustaining his life. Most people would say, let your enemy die. But we're different. We don't want our enemy to die. Do you know why? Because if he dies in that state, he perishes forever. He perishes forever. So we're the ones who we view our enemy different. Because of the gospel, we don't want them to die in this state, and we're willing to even feed and give them uh, water if necessary. And in doing so, he says, you're going to heap burning coals on his head. Whether this is a picture of shame or whether it's a picture of judgment, the issue is you do what's right, and it's going to have a response in this person's life. It's going to have some form of a reaction. Number two from this passage today in Romans 12, the gospel enables us to live peaceably with all, 
so far as it depends on us. So we see in verse 18, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Now, how many of you know some people are just cranky and divisive? How many of you live with one of them? I'm just kidding. We do counseling on the weekdays, all right? So some people are cranky and divisive, and we saw this last week. The reality is they better not be Christians. They better not be Christians that are causing the problems in their neighborhood homeowners association. It shouldn't be Christians who are causing the issues at their workplace because they're just divisive and fussy and irritable. Uh, Wish we could pass that along to all Baptist churches, right, in their business meetings. It shouldn't be this way. But the other reality is, friends, if we stand for truth, we won't be able to live in peace with everyone. There are those who are against Christ, and in those moments we won't be able to have peace with them because of our stand for truth. But what we're called to do is, if possible, and so far as it depends on us, to live peaceably. The first way that we would live peaceably with one another is, first, friends, we must make peace with God. We must make peace with God. It is that peace that then offers us the opportunity to be peaceful with others. Without that peace, without being right with God, without having Christ in our lives, there is, uh, there's no way of being able to really love people as we should in the, in the and the way that we're called to in this passage. Romans 12, again, is not telling us how to be good people, but gospel people. As the Spirit empowers us, we're to strive to live in peace with those around us. So here's some questions that I have for us. Are we quick to work toward reconciliation? Are we intentional about avoiding harmful words? Are we desirous of avoiding unnecessary conflict? Or are we the people who thrive off fighting and dissension and divisiveness? It shouldn't be true of us. What we're being called to in this text is, if it's possible with us, live at peace with everyone. If it's possible. There are going to be some irritable, fussy people that it's not possible. You do your part. You do your part. Number three, this morning in this passage, the gospel enables us to give place to God's wrath, never avenging ourselves. Let's look and see what it says in our text. In verse 19, Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it's written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Here, Paul is quoting from Deuteronomy. But how many of you know the reality is sometimes we just want to get even? How many of you, when you were growing up with a sibling and your sibling did something to you, because that's what siblings do, how many of you said, it's okay, I'll leave vengeance to my mom and dad? Any of you do that? My children seem not to do that. My children seem to want to strike back. And so this is the next thing I'm going to say. You know, Adelaide, leave vengeance on Adoniram to God. Leave it to God or me as his instrument currently. So there is this uh, picture we see of sometimes we want to get even. I've shared with you before that my father died. I was a senior at LSU, and uh, my father had and married a woman. Her name was Cheryl, and interesting thing is they were on a trip with our senior adults from our home church. They weren't married, but they were living together, and they actually rented a car and drove to Branson on this trip and got married and then came back and rejoined the group. <laughs> interesting things that happens on senior adult church trips, but uh, it's just First Baptist Leesville, I guess, not everywhere, but they got married. And uh, my stepmother decided she wanted to go back to school. So she was going to school at Northwestern there in Natchitoches. And uh, my dad went to visit her, and it was on a Tuesday. And when he, he went up there, uh, he died in her dorm room. Now, he apparently died around 3 in the afternoon, but she didn't call us till 7 that night. 
And she has a version of the story, and she shares what happens. When I saw my father's body, and he was in the casket, and the first time we got to look, there were bruises on my dad's hands, and there were bruises around his mouth. Of course, they've been doing the bag or these kinds of things. Some of that's, you know, accepted. But I asked her, I said, Cheryl, what are these bruises on dad's hands? And she said, well, you know your dad. He was always banging his hands. My dad was a computer programmer. Most computer programmers I know don't go bam, 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 ba, bam, bam, ba, bam. Most of them don't do that. Some of them probably do, especially if they delete, delete. But Dad didn't do that, and Dad was certainly not a mechanic. So I was troubled by those bruises, and I was troubled with what really happened. What happened when my dad died? And it took a few days, but it would be this passage, friends, that would bring me peace to say whatever happened. Vengeance doesn't belong to me. It belongs to God. And God will make sure all is right in the end. And when God used this passage in my life, friends, I was able to be freed from bitterness. I was able to be free from worry. And I was able to trust God. Do you know why you need to make room for God's wrath? Because God's wrath, friends, is going to be far worse than anything you or I would ever do in repayment. I want us to meditate on God's wrath just for a moment because... This season that we're in is the greatest season to contemplate why Jesus came into the world. He says, give place for God's wrath. And there are a couple things that I would point out to you. The first one is God's wrath is going to be awful. And I'll come back to that, but I would say in the second place, God's wrath is going to be eternal. And the third facet is God's wrath is going to be just. But let's come back to God's wrath. It's awful. And I want to be clear to you. Sometimes we're around people who have emotional reactions and they just react and they get upset at something. They say stuff they shouldn't. That's not God's wrath. God's wrath is controlled anger and it is only directed towards sin. It's not that God's emotional and he's having a bad day. God's wrath is only towards sin and it's because he's holy. So God's wrath will be awful. In what ways will it be awful? Well, here's what scripture says in Matthew 13. The Son of Man will send his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So in one way God's wrath will be like, it will be fire. We see later in Matthew that when the Master returns, it says he will cut him in pieces and put him with the hypocrites. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So God's wrath will be like fire. It will be like cutting someone into pieces. It says the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. God's wrath is going to be like darkness. Finally, there's Isaiah 66, 24 that says, The worm does not die, the fire is not quenched. Mark quotes this. Isaiah himself says, They shall go out and look on the dead bodies of the men who have rebelled against me. For their worm shall not die, their fire shall not be quenched. They shall be an abhorrence to all flesh. What we studied in Revelation, do you remember a few weeks ago we studied in Revelation and at the end of Revelation it says that all the earth dwellers are gathered and they're gathered in the caves and what are they doing to the rocks? Do you remember? What are they asking the rocks to do to them? They're asking the rocks to fall on them. Why? Because they want to be hidden from the wrath of the Lamb. They want to be hidden from the wrath of the Lamb. You know what's ironic about that, right? That even if the rocks kill them, it won't save them from the wrath of God. Death will not save them from the wrath of the Lamb. You see that, right? One last picture in Revelation says that in Revelation 20.10, it says those who are thrown into the lake of fire, which is called the second death, 
and said they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Do you know why you can leave vengeance to God, friends? Because God's wrath is going to be awful. It is going to be awful. It's enacted on these people. Number two, it will last forever. It will last forever. It will be eternal. Daniel 12, 2. God promises the day's coming when many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, come, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. In Matthew 25, it says in verse 41, the king will say to those on his left, depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. And in verse 46, it says, these will go away into eternal punishment. Eternal means never-ending, friends. 2 Thessalonians 1, 7 through 9, the Lord Jesus will be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels and flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord. They will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. So not only is God's wrath going to be awful, God's wrath is going to be eternal. It will be forever. There will be no escape. There will be no ceasing. And third thing that I would remind us of this morning, God's wrath is just. This is not an undeserved punishment. This is a very deserved punishment. Romans 1 says, The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Wrath does not come without warrant, friends. It's deserved. The truth of God is known, but the truth is suppressed. In Romans 2.5, it says, Because of your hard and impenitent heart, you're storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. God is a holy God, and he has as creator, and because of his holiness and his sovereign king, he has every right to punish sin. So his wrath will be awful, it will be eternal, and it will be just. Now, what we want to be careful as we think about this, vengeance is his we want to be those that aren't standing on the side going, yay, they're going to get it. Yay, we rejoice that they're going to endure this. Proverbs 24 says, do not rejoice when your enemy falls and let not your heart be glad when he stumbles. Lest the Lord see it and be displeased and turn away his anger from him. Friends, if we are not broken, that people are going to endure this. Then we are in error this morning. If we look at the nations and we see them and we think, I'm glad they're going to get their just desert. Friends, our hearts have yet to be warmed to the gospel. And unless you think that this seems severe, let me remind you of a couple things. First of all, how many sins did it take to bring the entire world under judgment? Do you remember? One. Friends, how many of you and I committed? It only took one to bring the entire world under sin, death, and judgment. James says in James 2, whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become accountable for all of it. Not only have we sinned hundreds, thousands of times, but each time we're guilty of breaking the entire law of God. Paul says in Galatians 3, all who rely on works of the law are under a curse, for it's written, curse be every one who does not abide by all things written in the book of law. So the wrath of God's curse falls on us for not obeying all that's commanded. One failure and God's curse is on us. And so here's what you should ponder. Any offense and any dishonor to an infinitely honorable and infinitely worthy God is an infinite offense and an infinite dishonor. Therefore, an infinite punishment is deserved. It's awful, isn't it? 
But you know why you can let go? When your husband and children are burned to death in a car in India? When your mother is killed in a car wreck by a drunk driver? When your dad dies in the dorm room of a stepmother who's had two other husbands die? You know how you let that go? Because vengeance is God's. And it will be awful. And it will be forever. And it will be just. Which brings me to one more verse as we transition into the final point. Friends, we should meditate much on what 1 Thessalonians 1.10 says. Jesus who delivers us from the wrath that is to come. Were it not for Jesus, friends, you and I would experience all the just that our justice that our sins deserve as well. And so as we meditate on Jesus coming, we don't want to just think about him as a baby and sweet and cuddly and, you know, away in a manger says no crying he makes. I doubt that. He was human in every way, and so far none of our three babies have come out without crying. They tend to be pretty good at it from the beginning, and they stay good the first four days. You know what I'm talking about? There's this survival mode you go into, and you think you'll never sleep again, and it's true. You will never sleep again. But then they become teenagers who drive cars, and you definitely don't sleep, right? So one of the things that we want to grasp is that without Jesus, this is what would be ours. But the gospel enables us to overcome evil with good, never being overcome by evil. Let's look at how this text ends. Verse 21, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And so I want to challenge you. Friends, this is what the gospel is about. How did God overcome our evil? Do you remember? How did he do it? The cross of Christ. The cross of Christ. So I want to go on a little journey, just a couple verses. Turn to 1 Timothy chapter 1. Just a couple verses. We are called to not be overcome by evil, but to overcome evil with good. And I would submit to us that our greatest example and hope for this is the gospel of Christ. How did God overcome our evil? It was with Jesus. 1 Timothy 1, verse 15. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I'm the foremost. Is this not glorious news? Let's turn back to Colossians 2. So Jesus comes into the world to save sinners. Jesus comes into the world to save sinners. How is it that God overcomes evil? Jesus comes into the world to save sinners. Colossians 2 tells us, beginning in verse 13, And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. What did he nail? He nailed our debt. But how did he nail that debt, friends? It was on his son. All of our sin was laid upon his son. So then it says in verse 15, He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. How did God overcome evil? He nailed his son to the cross. And he laid on him the sin of the world. And he laid on him the punishment. Now turn back one more place to Romans 5. Romans 5. Last place. I'm just picking up in verse 10. And verse 8, I'm sorry. Romans 5, verse 8. 
But God shows his love for us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since, therefore, we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if, while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his Son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. This is how God overcomes evil, friends. He lays our evil on his Son, and he bears out the wrath that we talked about. He pours it into his Son, Jesus, so that Jesus gets full credit for our evil, and we get full credit for his righteousness. This is the glorious news of Christmas. This is the glorious news of the gospel. And that's why Paul can end it and say, You don't be overcome, don't be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good, because this is what I have done, and this is what I will empower you to do. This is what I will enable you to do. Jim Boyce says, If we want to live these verses, we must know with deep gratitude that this is how God has treated us. We must study the example of Jesus, and we must be close to Christ and strive to draw closer to him always when christ died as a ransom for all who believe he broke the chains of sin and death that held us captive he overcame evil with good he overcame the evil of sin and rebellion and insubordination with the good of his death and resurrection he didn't overcome evil with persuasive words he didn't talk people out of sinning he didn't persuade people to change no first it was a legal justification christ paid what needed to be paid the verdict came down from the judge of the universe righteous All debts paid. This was a legal transaction between God and the Son of God, which we enjoy the faith. So, friends, I would submit to you, listen, I'm not calling you to imitate Christ. This is not a call to imitate Christ. It's a call to trust Christ for your own salvation, and then in the hope and strength and joy and assurance of Christ, you do the same. Jesus is the only possible ransom for our sins. The only one who can pay our debt and overcome evil with good. And this is what we point to when we display this to our enemies. When they treat us with evil and we return with Christ. This is the picture of the gospel. And this is what makes the gospel community different in the community. Well, how is it then that we're not overcome by evil? You know that we have a tendency that people will want to do evil to us. And so we respond with that evil. We started there at the beginning. But here's what we would say. Don't be overcome by evil. Don't let another person's evil provoke you to evil thoughts, even if you're in traffic in Baton Rouge. Don't do it, right? Or evil attitudes or evil deeds. If they wave at you but don't use their whole hand, you don't do the same, right? You know what I'm saying? So you don't respond. Don't give them that kind of power. You don't have to. You know why? Because Christ is your king. Christ is your leader, your champion, your treasure. Christ governs your life, not those who do evil. So when someone does evil to you, here's what you should say. You are not my Lord. I will not be controlled by you. I will not have my attitudes and thoughts and actions dictated by your evil. Christ is my Lord. Christ dictates my attitudes and thoughts and actions. And that will make you different from the majority of people in this city. It will make you different. Think of when I close with, with two pictures and then some closing challenges. But here's the first picture. Do you remember when Jesus tells the parable of the servant who owes a debt, but it's a debt that can't be paid, and the king calls him in, and the servant begs and says, let me work it off, but it's a debt that can't be worked off. But what is it that the king does for that servant? Do you remember? What does he do? He, he gets rid of the debt, right? And so you would think that that servant would then go out, and having just received the release of his debt, that he would act in the same way, right? 
But he doesn't, does he? He goes in and there's someone who owes him a very small debt. And he has this guy thrown in prison. And, and ultimately the king comes and he says, why? Why have you done this? See, friends, we want to be those who are able to overcome evil with good because this is what God has done in us. We are able to forgive much because we've been forgiven much. And it will make a difference. So second picture. Don't be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. You know that when Jim Elliott and his crew, Kevin and I were talking about it this week, when Jim Elliott and his crew went in to meet with the Indians, you know they had weapons that they could have used to shoot these guys. They had weapons that they could have used to defend themselves, but they didn't. And you know the reason why they didn't, right? Because they knew that if they shot and killed these Indians, these Indians would die in their sin. They would perish forever in the state that they were in. Jim Elliott and his crew knew that when they went in, should they die, they knew that they would be with Christ. And so overcoming evil with good, you have Elizabeth Elliott who then, instead of being bitter or angry, what does she do? She takes her and her daughter and she moves in with these folks who've killed her husband. And what happens as a result of that, friends, is that evil is overcome by good because the gospel is lived in front of them. And God gives them ears to hear the gospel. And these Indians are changed because good triumphs over evil. If Jim Elliott and his crew had responded evil with evil, I believe these Indians would still be in their sin. If Elizabeth Elliott had responded with bitterness and hatred, I believe they would still perish. But they didn't. They responded with the gospel, and it made a difference in the lives of these people. And so it is with the gospel community. Friends, we are not called to stay in this bubble. Praise the Lord. We can go out. And then when we go, when we go out, we are called to be the gospel community in the community. We're not called to look like the world. We're called to look like Jesus. When people see us, they should confuse us with Jesus. Because this is what he's producing in us. I want to close as we think back over Romans 12, and we're going to transition. Pastor Byron's going to lead us in just some songs to respond as we think about the truth here of laying down our lives, laying down our desires sometimes to retaliate, seeking Christ as our only means for living this. And I want to share with you what Jim Boyce has said about Romans 12 total as we close it out this morning. Jim Boyce said, as we look back over this remarkable chapter, starting with the offering of our bodies to God as living sacrifices and ending with the offering of ourselves and our own best efforts to others in order that by the grace of God we might overcome their evil with good, we marvel at the wisdom, scope, and power of a gospel that can do that. It is a gospel that can take sinners who've lived only for themselves and turn them into men and women who actually overcome the evil of this world. Who could ever think up a gospel like that? Not us, for sure. But only God could devise such a powerful gospel. Can I ask you a question, friends? As we celebrate Christmas, is the message of Christmas evident in our lives? Is the reality of the gospel evident? We may join in in all the Christmas purchases, the decorating of the tree, and all the parties. And it's all for naught, friends, if the purpose of why Jesus came is not evident in our lives. As we live it out in front of the people who do not know God. So let me ask some questions. The gospel of Christ transforms the way I view and treat the people who harm me most. Has the gospel transformed you to this? 
Has it transformed your, your view of people? The gospel demands that I not treat my enemies as they deserve, but rather that I treat them as Christ has treated me. So as we think back to these four teaching points, are we doing what's honorable in the sight of all? Or are we repaying evil with evil? Are we living peaceably with all? Or are we a source of conflict and division? Are we giving place to God's wrath? Or are we avenging ourselves? Are we overcoming evil with good? Or are we being overcome by evil? Friends, our hope for living these is Christ Jesus. Christ Jesus. So I would submit to us this morning, perhaps, as, as we're led in song and, and thinking through what we've encountered here, perhaps we need to respond by first seeking forgiveness to say, Father, I'm not living Romans 12, 17 through 21, and my only hope for living it is you. I seek your forgiveness and I seek your empowerment. Perhaps there's other aspects of Romans 12 that we would say I'm struggling with. Maybe we just come to this altar and we just beg and we say, God, produce this in us. Produce this in me. Produce this in our church. We want to give you a chance to respond as Pastor Byron leads us. I'm going to stand here. Maybe there's something specific I can pray with you about this morning. I'm going to be available for the first little bit. You're free to come and pray on your own. Most important, we want to live Romans 12, not just finish the study. Father, we thank you for Jesus. Thank you that because of what we see here and because you are just, God, all the wrong that we encounter in this world will one day be set right. And we can leave it to you. But Father, we don't want to be those who just rejoice of what these people are going to experience. We want to be those who rejoice because we've been rescued and are broken because they are yet to be. And we want to live the gospel so that they will be drawn to the gospel. We want them to see Jesus in us so that it will change their lives. Father, we don't want to be those who repay evil with evil, but we want to be those who do what's honorable and right in the sight of all. If it's possible, if it's up to us, we want to live peaceably with all. We want to give place for your wrath and trust that vengeance is yours. We want to feed our enemy and give our enemy something to drink. And we want to overcome evil with good. And you, Jesus, are our only hope. We don't want to be good people. We want to be gospel people. So you're our only hope for living this. Would you help us to live it? Help prosper it to make a difference in Baton Rouge because of the way you produce Romans 12 living in us. Help us to respond now. However you would have us. Some need to confess sin. Some need to yield their life to Christ. Some need to pour out and beg for this to be true in grace and at cross point. We would be these people. It's in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. I invite you to stand.